Hello, fellow watch lovers, nerds, enthusiasts, or however you identify. You're listening to 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast with your hosts, Andrew, and my good friend Everett. Here, we talk about watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Everett, how are you? I mean, what's not to like? I am going to drink this Ruby Grapefruit White Claw. I'm sitting in a oversized, comfortable chair. Oversized, I'm going to emphasize that. It's way oversized. It's also real tight and cozy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, I'm doing really well, man. Uh, How are you? I I am also really well. Uh, I like your pants. Thanks, they're khakis. (laughs) (laughs) I hate you. You're not my good friend. I, I'm also good. I'm right on the back end of like a weird cold. Um, and further, I had one of the most tragic things ever happen to me this weekend. Uh, I bit my tongue Ooh. super hard Ooh. On, on, on the side of my tongue. Not like a middle of the tongue bite, like a side of the tongue mm-hmm. bite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which then over the course of the day caused me to like kind of adjust my tongue deliberately to avoid biting that same place again. And do you know what the fuck happened? I bit the other side even harder. I had like a visible bruising. So my tongue is now swollen on both sides. So I have a little bit of wet mouth sound. I'm fully aware of that. And my tongue is bitten on both sides. That sounds rad. It was a, it, it, it was a hard weekend for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Well done. Yeah, it was, yeah. I was so mad. That's a quality move. Uh, I have, I, I, I've bitten my tongue, of course, but the, the one that gets me worse than the tongue is this cheek where mm-hmm. you bite the cheek and then it swells yep. like it gets inflamed and like it pokes itself in between your teeth. It's like, Hey, remember me? Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just keep biting it. So that's what I've been doing. I've now been biting both sides of my tongue for uh, the last couple of days. Well, good, man. I'm glad to hear it. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've got no such I've got no such uh, excuse for my performance tonight. It's just going to be a bad night. I don't know what to tell you guys. Yeah, well, you know, you don't always have to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrew, here we are. We're sitting together in this room, but but with us, sort of, electronically via I don't know wires, satellite, sorcery, sorcery. With us, we have a man. A man who is not only a watch brand owner, like many of our guests, but also the founder of the Horological Society of Utah and and board member. Uh, We've got John Liley, who is one of the owners of Markwell Watches. And he's here today to talk about his debut watch, the Memento Mori from Markwell. John Liley, welcome to 40 and 20, the Watch Clicker podcast. How are you? Hi, guys. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on tonight. I've listened for years, and it was always my dream to be this, the first podcast I've ever been on. So I'm this so happy This is it. To you made it. We've, we've popped have... a fair number of cherries, and we're happy to pop yours. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to get along well. Thank you. <laughs> well, well, John, we're so glad you could join us. You joined us tonight from the Salt Lake area, I understand. That's correct. So like I'm in the county. Yeah. You're in the county. That's what they call it. Well, it's Salt Lake City is downtown and Salt Lake County is surrounding it. I'm, I'm more closer to the mountains down by the ski resorts. Yeah. But there's still no break between you and, and the center of Salt Lake. Oh, no. Okay. It's all urban sprawl. Yeah. yeah, it just keeps going. 25 minutes on a good day, half an hour with traffic. It's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. 
I, I only, I drove through once, uh, and stopping there, I just like sitting in the middle of Salt Lake city and, and being surrounded by the bowl of mountains. I was like this, I get it. A lot of places you go and you're like, why did you stay here? Like what, what, like, did you break down? And then like, you just stayed this Salt Lake was a place that I got it. Yeah, I was kind of the same way. I uh, thirty years ago, I was offered a job, but I I flew out at Christmas time, and there was a snowstorm the whole time, so I never saw any of the mountains, and I really didn't know much about Salt Lake other than it was west of the Rockies, not quite in California. There was a lake, and a bunch of pioneers showed up in the eighteen forties, and uh, I came and didn't see anything. And then about a month later, when I drove out and the sun came out the next morning, I was like, "Wow, where did I move to?" <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, like the same the same thing that, that happened to the people who settled it. Like, oh, yeah, I found exactly. it. <laughs> I found it. This is the place. There's actually a monument called This is the Place Monument. And that's where they popped out. And they're like, and Brigham Young said, this is the place. And that's exactly how they got here. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You know, I'll be yeah. in Utah in just a few weeks. I'll be in Alta. I, I understand it's not Alta. It's Alta. Correct. That's how they say it. Alta. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not Zion; it's Zion. I I learned both of those things today when I mispronounced yeah. Al Zion. Zion's yeah, the land of Zion. Yeah. Well, uh, great. So here we are. We're here to talk about Markwell. We're here to talk about the Memento Mori. We're here to talk about kind of a lot of things. We oftentimes go long in this show. I don't think today is going to be any different, but we will try to keep this a little bit efficient. So I, I think we would be doing a disservice to the listeners of 40 and 20 uh, if we didn't ask you, John, how did you get into watches? So the standard answer is my father had an old little Bulova about the size of a postage stamp that was in his top drawer. I've seen bureau, a picture. You know? I've seen a picture yeah. of this watch. Oh, yeah. It was on a video. Uh, literally the size of a postage stamp. Um, that's after it was restored. But as a kid, it was broken. It didn't have a crystal. It didn't have a crown. And you know how you sneak into your dad's dresser and play with the things you're not supposed to. You find a lighter. You find some cufflinks. You probably find stuff you're not supposed to and don't want to talk about on a podcast live. But... Um, <laughs> I found this little watch and I would go in there and play with it. And um, for years, I put it on my wrist, had a stretchy bracelet. And that was the first exposure to a lot, a watch. And years later, about 2015, my dad passed away. And I told my sister, I said, I want the watch. And she's like, what watch? And I said, trust me, it's in the top drawer of his dresser. And there it was. So I picked it up, brought it home, kicked it around for a while. Eventually, I had it restored. That'll be the one that you've seen in the picture. And um, that's the first time I think I was really into watches. And then like everybody else in high school, I'm a child of the 70s and 80s. And I had a Swatch and I had a Casio, Annie Digi. My first cool big boy watch was a Tag Heuer, you know, things like that. And then I just kind of moved up, probably got really serious into it about 20 something years ago and spent more money than I needed to and continue to do so. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just kind of how it happened. Um, I, organically, it wasn't anything. I read the James Bond novels, so I wanted a Rolex. And that's part of my collection is in that stand, four-digit, five-digit stuff. And I laugh with the Horological Society when we have meetups. We have these kids that will come in, and I call them kids. They're in their 20s. And they'll go, wow, look at that. Where'd you get that? I'm like, well, I bought it. 
well, where'd you get it? And like, well, I bought it when it came out. <laughs> I got it at the store. Really? Yeah, I went, I went to I the store, the... like back in the day when you could buy Rolex from a, yeah. from a human person when, at a counter. Yeah. When you were two, I went into the store and bought this. <laughs> <laughs> I have a root beer, a five-digit root beer. I literally bought that because when I was a kid, my soccer coach was this cool dude. He had a Porsche 928, like a gold one with brown leather, and I remember his son and I were in the backseat and he had a root beer. So I always remember that watch. So when I finally got to that point in my life where I could afford such a thing, that was the one. And I literally went into the mall and ordered it. And the guy called me two weeks later and I got it. So now when I go to the meetup, I'm the cool guy with the Rolex, with the root beer Rolex that I literally ordered. And they make fun of me, but that's okay. <laughs> it's a jealousy making fun of you. They're like, wait, you you went in and you bought it on the spot? No, oh, yeah. I don't accept that. Uh, a better story than that. I was in Vegas in 2006. I walked into Tornell. And at the time, there weren't really nicknames other than maybe Root Beer and Pepsi. And that was about it. Because we were just like on the Rolex forum and stuff. And I walked into the gal and I'm like, hey, uh, do you have one of those anniversary bezeled subs? Because that's what it was originally. And there wasn't a Kermit. And she's like, yeah, I got one. I said, sure, I'll take it. And she's like, okay, I'll be right back. She walked back. I dropped down my 4850 and walked out with it. And I think I used my Utah app, uh, address and didn't even pay sales tax. So. And, and nowadays they don't even have a display model. No. Well, <laughs> I kept that thing for 10 years and then sold it and made like two grand on it and thought I was really hot shit. And then I used it for the down payment on the motorcycle. And then two years later, I'm like, oh man, this thing's worth three times what I sold it for. But but it's not a motorcycle. So, you know, there's, there's no, that. I have a lot more dreams on that thing and fun with people, miles and smiles. So it was well worth it. You know, about a year and a half ago, I played golf with a, a surgeon. He's sort of a well-known surgeon here in town. And we we were in the same cart, so we were together for, you know, the better part of four hours, uh, just chit-chatting. He was wearing a black date sub. And, uh, you know, not the kind of guy who cares about his watch, right? Uh, he has a watch. He wears his watch. He respects his watch, but but also doesn't think about his watch. Yeah. And I asked him, I said, oh, you know, that's a pretty cool watch. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, I got this at, uh, at Topper. Uh, or not topper. Uh, I got this at skis, our local, our local jeweler, uh, you know, a few years back. And I, I, you know, I just, I'm thinking about getting something new, but I just go in there and I don't know what to get. And I was like, well, if you put that thing on the market, you can afford a lot of watch, you, you know, relative to that thing. So you get, you got options if you're going to get rid of it. He's like, no, I think this, you know, I only bought this for six. I'm not sure it's for three or four. And I was like, no, no. Try 15. No, no, no. no. <laughs> we, 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 we shall educate you uh, here really quick. Yeah. And his mind was blown. You know, I pulled up, I think I pulled up Chrono 24 at the time and, you know, showed him similar examples. And he, he you could just see, he was like, I don't know what to do with this information. Uh, you, you know, if I had to guess, if I had to guess, he did exactly nothing and he still wears it every day. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you, you know, that kind of guy, but yeah, it's one of those things, right. Where, you, you know, most of the, the people that bought those watches weren't thinking like, Oh, this watch is going to be worth three or four, 10 times as much as I'm buying it for a few years down the road. Yeah. The profane, not those, the members of the club that we exist within. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I I've had similar experiences with people, but I've also had interesting like i got a phone call from a friend of mine he's a retired jeweler 
And he goes, Hey, um, you, uh, I, I want you to come up and see me on Thursday. I'm like, okay, why? Uh, the neighbor lady has something you probably want to see. And I'm like, what? Well, he said, uh, bring some cash. And I asked him how much. And I was like, okay. So I come up there and uh, we meet her and he's, he's about 80. We walk down and she's got this great big condo on the golf course with a big giant furniture with the white rug. And she comes to the door and walks us in and greets us in her living room and sits down. And right there on the middle of the table is, you know, the typical old Rolex box, but it's leather with the gold buckle on it. And I go, oh, I know what's in there. So uh, popped it open and her husband was an extremely successful insurance agent. And her whole thing was, she goes, it just sits in this box, but someone needs to have this. And, and, and Jim says, you won't sell it to anybody. I says, no, ma'am, I won't. So we negotiated this price on this 1981 day date with original box papers, the back sticker, the tag and everything. And uh, I walked out for 5,000 bucks. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. He was uh, left-handed. He wore it on his left hand and he wore the links through. And on the old models, the old 81s, they're hollow. You yeah, wouldn't yeah. know it. Yeah, fold the mm -hmm. links, so yeah. I had to find four different links. And then as I am advancing in age, I can't see the hands with the dial. So I swapped out the dial for, for a champagne dial and I put gold Samariner hands on it because they fit. <laughs> so it's mine. And that's the way it looks right now today. That's but, superb. Uh, Other than that, or I wouldn't be buying a day date. So Rolex modding is a thing. I do that. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of how I got into my creative streak. I, I put Submariner hands on everything. My date, my date chest, stuff like that. Yeah. My watchmaker hates me. <laughs> he calls it sacrilege. I walk in with eBay parts and he goes, oh, seriously? I'm like, yep. Let's do it. Those, it's, it's the watch you like. We talk about it all the time. You make the value. So, so we've got the story of how you got there. There's a, there's a bit of a delta between you getting there and being interested in watches and Markwell launching mm -hmm. about a year ago. Yeah. So we have eight years ish, right? You said 2015. Oh, nope. That's longer well, than 2015, that. 2015, like, that was, that was when my father passed away, but that watch I had played with since I was a kid. So that's my whole life, you know, basically. Well, so let's yeah. talk about the last like 15 years of watch because there's a few bios of you that call you an amateur urologist and you've done, oh, yeah. you've done some <laughs> things and some interesting things. And I'm curious how, how those come about. Uh, are you talking about my bios or you're talking about the watch things that I do? The, the watch things, <laughs> the bios kind of make sense. You know, we've know all had to write those, from. but yeah. So, um, I had to write that epitaph myself. Um, <laughs> so in that collecting journey, um, you know, what's really interesting and a lot of people don't realize the, do you know where the Invicta service center is for the whole world? No, Salt Lake. 20, 20 minutes that way. That's yeah. So yeah, there's a guy here that used to own these stores called precision time and all the malls all over the country. And I've heard he of precision being, time. Yeah. He ended up being friends with a guy, converted and did that. And then the service center's here. So there were plenty of Invictas in the last 20 years as well, too. I didn't just go from crummy old Boulevard to, you know, nice five-digit watch when I could afford it. But um, No, there's a we, growth we, period, as makes sense. Well, yeah, and then you try to rationalize. Oh, I could spend that much. It's fine. I know I could do that. Well, and Invicta gets you because it's like, man, it's supposed to cost that much, but I can get it for this much. Yeah. Okay, duh. 
I still have a Lupa in the other room. I've got, uh, I have one of their divers. My kids gave it to me um, for my birthday, you know, 20 something years ago. So yeah, absolutely. Um, we did work with that. And then just, it's interesting somewhere around 2008 when the market kind of crashed. And again, I'm in the you know, mortgage world. So when the market crashed and money wasn't there, I had sold off a lot of my collection. Uh, a lot of people did a lot of stuff like that back then when things got hard with that financial crisis. So when that happened, I kind of went away from, I had some stuff left, stuff I wasn't going to sell like that root beer and things like that. But I had to get unload stuff because you got to make your mortgage payments. You got to do what you got to do. And so I kind of walked away from the hobby for a while. I, it was kind of like I couldn't log in and look in the forums, but I always yeah. kind of looked at stuff. So I, I kind of, yeah, it was probably a good five, six, seven years. And, and 2015 is actually a good spot because getting that watch back that was in my dad's drawer that I had restored, it kind of got me back into the bit. I started discovering YouTube and seeing channels where I could see watch collecting. And um, that's what made me reach out to our aforementioned friend, Bruce, who has a YouTube channel and said, hey, do you know any groups here locally? And um I'm involved with the Horological Society. I'm not the founder. I'm one of the founders. And uh, we originally started as Chrono Group. You know Mike out in uh, California? I think it's OC Chrono and those groups. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. I know Mike. Yeah. Or so I, we or were I know of Mike. Yeah. Yeah. We were an affiliate group, SLC Chrono, and we started that way. We still have a slight affiliation with them. And then we went one step further because the fellow that's the president of our group was the president of AWCI back in Ohio. And funny enough, we have like three or four different watchmakers on our group here locally in town. And uh, we started it as a charitable organization, a 501c3. And we started meetup groups and meeting brands and bringing people in and hosting them. We've had every Catlin from Norcane, the guys from Grand Seiko, everybody. I mean, Nor uh, Formex was here. All the little groups that you would think of and big groups that you would think of, all from a bunch of silly guys out here in the middle of the mountains. So. You, you know, I, I think that it is, uh, I, I think that this world of watches is really more than anything kind of dependent on the people you meet. Uh, and, and certainly that's true for Andrew and I, uh, you, you know, we, by way of this show have met, you know, dozens of brand owners at this point. Uh, we, we met Will after having invited him on the show to just talk mm -hmm. about like, how do you do a watch review? That was, I think... I think it was called the the life of a watch review or something like something that. Something like that. And, and you, know, <laughs> you know, as the legend goes, we were just kind of enamored by each other, and we're like, we're doing different things, we're doing different components of a of a media group. So why don't we join up? But all along, our experience has been our experience has been sort of uh, uh, fomented by the people we met. Uh, and and mm -hmm. it sounds, it, it, your story doesn't sound any different, unsurprisingly. Is there, are, are there people or groups of people that you met along the way that you can, you know, point to and say, you know, meeting this person or having this experience with these people, you know, sort of set the trajectory or, or, or change the trajectory uh, that, that landed you here. We still haven't talked about the watch. We're going to get there, but oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you know, yeah. I think we're doing some foundation building here with you and I appreciate your patience with us. Well, I, so within the context of the watch group that we have here, the horological society, and we started hosting people, um, we hosted, um, a company called Swiss watch company 
the Romers own that. I think they've been on your show before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. And and Steve has a long history with the Swatch Group. So it wasn't just, oh, hi, I'm a fellow selling watches. We got to hear his history and talk to him. Um, then that led to the next person that they knew, sort of the next phone call, which was the next step. Like if you sit down and talk to the Romers, like you talk to their sons, their cousins are like friends with people that are related to who work for Raphael at Formax. Cause mm -hmm. you know, Switzerland's like this big and you know, they're all one step away from being related from everybody. Pretty incestuous. And, yeah, yeah. They're like yeah. Dukes. I didn't want to use that yeah. word, but yeah. Well, we'll coming from, coming from Utah, you gotta be careful. <laughs> well, having not, well, I'm not from here, so it's okay that I live. Well, here, you so. are coming from there, though. I, I'm gonna... yeah, I am now. You know, it's, it's okay. But um, yeah, so I have been married three times, not at the same time, though. I would say that. Uh, it's just part of the way it is here. But um, yeah, so you meet those connections. I mean, right down to Will with you guys in the Watch Clicker podcast. He knew the fellows through SWC, so I talked to him, and I'd have pictures taken from my from my brand. And then he and I were talking, and he and I grew up 25 minutes from each other. Now, he's like 17 years younger than me, but, I mean, I think we talked before. We probably took our driving test on the same streets way back when, and I haven't lived in New Jersey since 1994. When Will and, was born. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm so it's, it's the little parts and pieces of the people that you meet, and then listening to podcasts such as you folks, and listening to what you did with your, your brand, with Foster and and then listening to the guys like on Whiskey and Watches, but then meeting someone like Nicholas we uh, from Fears. Mm. We had him out uh, last month. And to sit and listen to the detail and the things that he does with watches, and he never wanted to call himself a micro brand. So I don't want to call myself a micro brand either. I want to call myself a brand. And although this is the first watch I have, uh, it will, there are certain details in the way we build things and do things much like what he's done. So am I going to fanboy on fears for a minute? Yeah, I like that. But As I would also take yeah. that. Yeah, I, I could take that from different people that we met in different places. And it is right. It's all about people and connections. And had we not got into this, let's use the word fraternity of the watch um, uh, groups. And had I not met this person that knew that person, it wouldn't get me to that point. Um, for instance, in this in the horological society, I was able to get press credentials. And from the press credentials, we were able to go to the Couture and Antique Watch and Clock Show in Vegas. And mm. this will be our third year that we're going. So we'd get to meet with Mike from Zodiac, the guys from G-Shock. We go to the Oris party. We do. All, I'm just some silly guy that used to listen to podcasts during the Mike pandemic. Mike from Christopher Ward. Yeah. Yeah, Mike, yeah. yeah, Mike from Christopher Ward now. Yeah, exactly. It was Zodiac, right? So, I mean, all of those folks. So and I'm just some silly guy. Right. That's yeah. that's you know, that was listening to stuff. And now all of a sudden I've got my own brand and I'm hanging out with people and they're all normal, just like the rest of us. But they're doing something that we love. Right. And yeah. uh, the connections are what makes all this work. I think that's why we're here tonight, I would guess. So let's talk a little bit more about the Horological Society and and, and what it is. So, it, it, I mean, you, you are a, a, a founding father, if you will, of, yeah. of the Horological Society of Utah. You've already said that it's a 501c3. You bring people in to both honor and further, honor the history and further the, the story of watches. But let's, what's going on there? What is it? Well, much like a, you know, any kind of watch group, like a red bar or a chrono group, we do have monthly meetups. Uh, so folks get together with their boxes of Indictas and, you know, their $100,000 <laughs> Laga that they've got on their wrist. 
And, and um, nobody gets we to have, wear that, but you you can look. Uh, funny enough, the first thing I went to, the guy took it off his wrist and handed it around the table. And he says, hey, I'm not trying to be a poser or anything, but you guys can look at this. I just got it. So, <laughs> That's I'm the like, best way to not be a I'm poser. Like, I'm like, oh, okay. So we, we went around. Never seen that guy since. But um, <laughs> Did the watch go home with him? or? I should hope so. <laughs> okay. We d- I do know as a secretary of the society, we have, you know, insurance. So we're good there. Um, <laughs> that being said, it, it moved further because we have an educational slant because the founding president was the president of AWCI. So we brought in the Build-A-Watch program. Have you seen that RV that's been on Instagram and places like that? AWCI brings it in and you can do Build-A-Watch. So they have 10 watchmakers tables on the inside. You pay your fee. You take an eight-hour class in this RV that's a school that's sponsored by AWCI. You sit down and build your own wristwatch. It's a Unitas movement and um, 17 joules. And at the end of the day, it's your watch. And you pick the straps and everything else, and you're out there taking a wrist shot at the end of the day of something that you built, taking a class with a trained watchmaker. So we've brought that to Utah three times. We've had, um, when Longa came out, we had a huge event with Longa, over 200 people. They brought their watchmaker out with like a microscope. And so it's not just the guys they had there, you know, watching the $100,000 watches on the table that they actually let people handle under the watchful eye of the uh, security guard. But on top of that, you could go over and see how the watch was made and sit down with the the, the Dutch guy that would sit there and talk with his accent and show people the little wheels and parts and pieces under the microscope and put it up on a big screen. So there's an educational factor, there's a meetup factor, and then everyone can have their uh, their moment of uh, stardom when they somebody, like when Catlin came in with Norcane. Everybody's like, ooh, 10 and 2, Catlin. And it was all exciting. And we did the Norcane deal up at the ski resort. So when the glass was open and the sun was out, there's the ski slope and there's the Norcane watches. You know, and they're all, we try to make it a big dramatic event. It's not just something. And we routinely sell out. We'll have 100 to 150 people. The long event had over 200 that just show up. It's it's more than a meetup. It's, it's, it's an event, you know. I don't know how else to put it. Pretty picturesque so place to be hosting events. Yeah, we've, uh, the, one of the coolest one. So everybody gets jealous of the one up at, up at Snowbird where they held the ski resort with Norcane, you know, and Oris showed up and they had the RV and we were at a pretty cool place where they have like all the uh, food trucks. And that was kind of neat. But one of the neatest things we did, because Cole Pennington used to live her. Um, yeah, right. from It was Hodinkee's now with Tudor. Uh, he and his wife are in Switzerland now. And it happened to be Cole's birthday, but randomly, he's a Toyota Land Cruiser guy, right? Mm-hmm. So the largest Land Cruiser museum in the United States is in Salt Lake City, Utah. The fellow that used to have the first dealership here, his son was nuts about him. So he started collecting them, and they had so many of them, so we started a foundation. So I, they have like number two or number three that was ever made in the United States. So they have all of them. So what we did is we hosted an event with Seiko. So Seiko came in, we had Sushi Chef, we had, you know, Japanese whiskey, the whole thing. And you could walk the whole event. We had the whole museum opened with all the vehicles and Seiko watches. So we tried to theme everything. And that event got around and it got a lot of traction. So people heard about it. So for so people like to come here. And like you said, it's nice looking. So it helps. 
you, you know, it, it, we we probably do need to move on to your watch at some point. Uh, but I, I have to admit, I am a little bit, uh, I, I find it a little bit hard to break into the watch uh, it, it, in terms of a simple question because there's so much going on here um, uh-huh. between sort of some of the iconography that you can find on the dial to the name uh-huh. to the logo. Um, I, I think it makes the most sense to start with the name Markwell. And, and I, I think it also makes sense at this point to break the ice on the idea of this being a Masonic watch or a Masonic inspired watch. I'll let you define that as you like. Um, why don't we get into it? Like what's your connection to the Masonic, uh, fraternity and, and how has that inspired from the name of your brand to your watch? How, how do we factor that in? So simple story. I became a Mason 26 years ago. So I'm sure everybody's got that creepy building in their town. I'm one of those guys that goes and meets in that creepy <laughs> building in your town. No, actually, um, I hang out with your grandfather on the weekends. That's kind of what happens. And yes, I've had a Fez. And yes, we are affiliated with the Shriners and things of that nature. Um the Masonic fraternity. So I joined that 26 years ago. And in the concept of that, Masons, just like the Elks and other folks like that, they have their jewelry, etc. In the 50s and 60s, um, in the 50s and 60s, uh, Hamilton and uh, Bolivar and the American Watch Companies. Did you guys see that? Yeah, I have no idea what that was. There was a thumbs down floating on your screen. Yeah, it was like, and I saw that I was FaceTiming my boss earlier today and my coworker who was with her gave me a thumbs up and then it floated across the screen. So I, the only thing that makes sense is that somehow the camera picked up some kind of gesture that Everett was doing, picking up his phone and thumbs down you. But that was not at all what happened. Uh, So maybe I should start that over. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) we may not cut this because it's kind of fun. Yeah, it is actually kind of fun. Anyway, part of the Masons, part of the historical factions, you could in the past, if you had a Hamilton watch, you could walk into J.C. Penney's, you could walk into Sears, and you could have bought your dad uh, a Hamilton watch or a Bolivar watch with a dial with the Masonic iconography on it. Just like I've got a ring on right now that's got the square and compass, the ones that everybody sees, you know, the National Treasure, you know, Da Vinci Code and all that bit. You could buy that dial. So I said to myself, with all my watch collecting, et cetera, I'm into uh, watches from that mid-century modern type thing. And that's kind of the concept of my case on the Markwell watch. Uh, We didn't want to start with a diver. And uh, I have a business partner, uh, my friend Alan, and the two of us together are both Masons. So we decided, you know what, what the hell, we're just going to launch the first one with something different. Everybody does a diver, everybody does purple, green, blue, orange, whatever. Let's not do that. Let's make something classic something that's a modern interpretation of something that you would have seen in the 50s and 60s. So the first watch that comes out, um, it's in a case that's called Telford. Telford is my grandfather. That's the watch that I had restored. Hamilton used to name their watches after the guy that designed them or a place. That's how you get the Hamilton Rodney or something like that. Who names a watch Rodney? Well, Rodney designed it. So um, that's where we came with that idea. And um, then we decided to run with that Masonic case. And then the name itself comes from 
oh, it's part of the Masonic lore, so to speak. It's within rituals, and it's um, Mark Mason's. And uh, have you guys been to Europe? Uh, no, I've not been to uh, Europe. Not for leisure. Okay. <laughs> uh, oh, I see. So um, a lot of the cathedrals, a lot of the castles, things like that, the rocks and the stones that were there, when the stonemasons built them, in order to get paid for their day's work, they would put their mark on the stone, and they'd count the stones, and that's how the guy got paid. So that's a mason's mark. So part of the whole play on words marking well, making your mark in life. That's where we came up with the name. I agonized on what to call this thing. Um, I had all kinds of crazy names based on nicknames, part of my history, where I'm from. You really don't want to call your watch the New Jersey. I don't think it'll do that well. But, <laughs> nope. um, you know, so that's where the name came from. So Markwell just kind of worked. And then um, the logo, I also agonized. You don't have a logo on your watch. It's just a name, right? It, no, we both have logos. And and yeah, that's that's sort of the next thing I wanted to get into. So so take yeah. it away. You're, you're, you're right on it. Well, so logo, okay. Everyone knows, you know, you've got the crown. You've got this. You've got that. Omega's got their symbol. I wanted to make something that stood out and but didn't quite necessarily make sense for what it was. But I, I couldn't think of what to do. So Mark Well, M and W. Well, I ended up looking like halftime like a Volkswagen symbol. So that mm -hmm. wasn't gonna work. And um one day I think I was watching YouTube and there was a YouTuber that did like the history of time. And he was talking about like water clocks, sand clocks, the dimension of the hairspring, the way things went. And then they were talking about atomic clocks. And atomic clocks use cesium. I think it's the decay rate that actually figures out the time on an atomic clock. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. And uh I randomly just got on my cell phone. Um, and looked for a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And uh, on my cell phone, as I'm going through Google, um, I looked up cesium and it had a crystalline structure or a geometric representation of cesium. And I go, huh. And then I just rotated it 180 degrees. And that's my logo, literally. Um, we put the logo not only on the dial, but we put the logo on the crown. And even though the watch is like a mid-century design um, sort of historical type element to the watch we put the logo and we filled it with luminescent material and then my daughter when i was talking to her about it she goes well cesium's radioactive right and that's why it glows in the dark right and i says yes i'm gonna go with that so that's why we put <laughs> lumen most of this stuff's happy accidents to be honest the name the logo you know but what's not happy accidents are the designs and the pieces and parts and the way i, I wanted it to be specifically a thoughtful thing like a polished lug a chamfer where the brushing was, where the brushing wasn't. Um, I wanted it to be a watch you could wear every day. Grand Seiko's are great, but they're polished every which way from Sunday. And after about two weeks, it, it's just scratched to hell. And I didn't want a watch that was all polished. I wanted it to be brushed so you could wear it and still looks nice. You know, um, the stainless ones have that hard coating on that. And then the, uh, I, I'm not sure what the name of the coating is, but then on the gold ones, we have a DLC coating. So it's not a PVD. So... Uh, we try to do that and work it out with both elements. I'll say when 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 I I went over to Everett's house on Sunday to pick up the watch at some point across sure. the street, right? You yeah, across, across the street. street. He was like, "Hey, <clears throat> set a reminder tomorrow to come get something." And I was like, oh, "I want to come get it now." He's like, "I'm watching a movie." I don't care. I'm, I'm watching a movie too. I'm going to come get a watch. And he, he shows me these two watches and, and there's a steel and a gold. And never in my life have I ever favored gold. I was shocked. Over steel. And I'm looking at these two watches and I'm like, I'm, 
I'm going to go home with that gold. That's yeah. that's what I want to wear right now. Uh, Will says the gold slaps. I assume that's a good thing. I'm not cool. I think, I think that's the word. Um, yeah. yeah. The, the gold is... That's what this watch was was meant to be, right? This that's this the way has, they were back then. This yeah. has every bit of a 1950s, maybe early 60s watch, and it should be in gold. It's yeah, it's phenomenal what you what you did with the colors and the steel is great. The steel is you typically know, my flavor, but with the way you've designed these lugs, the dimensions of the case, this gold is well, it slaps. Well, it slaps. I've never said well, that before. I we don't did, like it. Interesting. So Alan and I were sitting there. Well, we, we made the initial order. We're like, okay, how many gold, how many steel? So we just you know threw the dice and did 50-50. Well, then after we sold the first half dozen and they were all gold, the first six, we're like, uh-uh. And it was really funny. Um, until we met with Will over there at Watch Clicker, we had different photos, which were okay. But then once we had his photos up, it really accelerated it. Eventually, the stainless steel caught up with it, and it's about even right now. But I remember when the prototype showed up, and I took him out of the box. My partner just reached over, and he grabbed it. goes, I'm going to wear that one. And he took the gold one like that. Mm -hmm. and, and I've had the stainless one since then. Um, I actually wear mine on my right wrist. Yeah, I noticed and, you're, you're dual wielding. You, you're double wristing. Yeah, well, I have all my watch collection, and I always want to wear that. But then someone says, don't you have your own company? Well, yeah. Well, here it is. So I get to wear it over here. <laughs> Did you know? I want to teach you guys a fact if you don't know this. The SW200, the Solita movement that's in here, I don't have a date on this dial, but the holes are in the same spot for the feet for the for the dial. So you can rotate the movement 180 degrees. Yeah, you can go. And, mm -hmm. we, I did know that. Yeah. So, yes. See, I didn't. Uh, and then I learned that. So this is uh, left-hand drive. So the crown's on the other side. So I wear this on my right wrist. And funny enough, the first watch sold, a gold watch, went to my friend. And he used to be on dialysis. He had a kidney transplant. So he's got the large vein on his left arm from the dialysis and he can't wear a wrist on his uh, watch on his left wrist. So we customized the first one that sold to a left-hand drive and sold it to him. And he's just pleased as punch. So uh, I, I, I did not have a, a dialysis, but I, we, I also have an experience of somebody uh, making a left-hand drive for me. Cause I'm a, I'm a right wrist guy. Ah, you know, my dad and my grandfather, and I didn't know this, but, you know, they would always wear them on a stretchy bracelet. And mm -hmm. I've got mine on an old... Um, Twisto flex. I do, I do collect... This is stupid, but I collect these old hair pullers. And it's a grains of rice Spidel from the 50s. But they'd all wear them on their wrist, on the, this way. And they wore them on their right, even though they were right-handed. And um, the one time I remember my dad was working on the brakes on our car. I'm like, he's going to break that. But he just took it and slid it up his arm. And then when he was done up to the elbow, like a sleeve, that is yeah, the truth, uh, man. That's the 1970s dad move. It is that that's the move. Yeah. So is, um, is there anything in the works to, to do expandable bracelets for. So I have talked to the manufacturer and there is an opportunity. Um, they're not complicated, but it's uh, we wouldn't be able to do a gold one. I don't think, but um the gold one that uh, my business partner has, he he literally got a Spidel off of Walmart.com yeah, or something. That's the way to the go. Gold in, one. Yeah. And he put it on there and it looks great. And uh, we we both 
basically have achieved being old men in our 50s by wearing expandable bracelets on our retro watches. So let's yeah. talk let's talk a little bit about the case because you, you, we've talked about retro, but we haven't really talked about what this case is. Um, I, I think we, we probably ought to go back to the dial at some point too, but for, for a second, let's talk about the case because I think this case, uh, you know, we, we look at watch pictures all day long, right? Anybody who's mm-hmm. got an Instagram account that's even somewhat related to watches sees pictures of watches all day. You, you know, one of the things that I realized really early in watch collecting is it's really hard to get any sort of sense of scale based on a based on yeah. a picture a five by four picture um you, you know you, you see that citizen a hundred times and you're like golly i really want that citizen and you get it on your wrist and you're like what the fuck Flavor is this flame. uh yeah this, remember the safarni yeah i bought one of those and sold it like two weeks later you, you know so we have this we it, it's really hard to tell but this watch is i wouldn't call it diminutive but it's small in scale it's a 37 millimeter watch and it wears mm-hmm. a 37 millimeter i mean mm-hmm. this is a watch yeah. that is true to the dimension sometimes we say where's bigger where's smaller this thing wears 37 millimeter yep. it's it's pleasantly thin, even with the domed crystal. We're still coming in at just a hair over ten. Um, the case in and of itself is really thin. I don't know the number. Yeah. I'll let you tell me. Um, but but really, the star of the show is what I've heard you refer to as eagle claw lugs. I've never heard that before. But then I looked and I was like, oh yeah, that works for me. Yeah. Um, Tell me about what where, where your head was at when you were designing this case. Uh, you, you know what what were the things you were trying to achieve? I know you've described this as like a mid century, mm-hmm. uh, based in the mid century. Obviously, that's that's easy enough to say. But what were the sort of what were your specific sort of pivot points as you were designing this case? Well, you've hit on it in the fact that I wanted it to be comfortable. I didn't want it to be too large. The The last thing I would want was to be the typical, let's call it micro brand that goes through a catalog and just picks out a case, picks out a set of hands, picks out a dial, prints it that way and puts it together. So I specifically had like, it's going to, I didn't want 36 because it was too small. I had a friend that kept telling me 38. So I purposely made it 37 just so it wasn't 38. <laughs> so I, I made it 37, but then I wanted the lug to lug to be around 43. Um, I, I got big paws, man. I'm 6'4 and 200 pounds, and, but I have seven and a quarter inch wrists, but I didn't want it to wear too small, but I didn't want it to wear too big. You want? I wanted it to be a watch you could wear every day. Um, so that was part of the way. So the lugs themselves don't come out straight. I always hate that. You end up with that nomos thing where they're mm-hmm. too long. Yeah. So then I didn't want them to bend too much. So the lugs are close to the case. In fact, the straps, if you look at the way the spring bars are, the spring bars are curved, even though it's a straight uh, strap as it mates to the case. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we wanted it to fit that way. So then, okay, so we're going to make the lugs the way we made them. So think about it when the plug comes out of the piece of metal and then they stick it in the CNC machine. If you look at the top of the lugs, the brushing's kind of swirled with the way it would have been cut in the CNC machine on the top of the lugs. But then on the side of the lugs, the brushing goes north to south. And then I'm like, okay, that's just too, that just looks too like it was just made in a machine. So then we added that chamfer that's hand polished in there. The bezel itself is not a bezel. It's part of the case. Yeah. So it's actually a gasket with a crystal. But the one thing I didn't want to do was make it like a traditional bezel. So, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, right? We can agree to that when it comes to watchmaking. But I took little bits and pieces so that 
bezel look is concave actually. Mm -hmm. Mm. So we did that and then it goes up into the box crystal and that looks like it gives it some height, but it doesn't. So it was all about fit, wear, and intentional thought when it was put together. But I wanted you to see that when you put it on there, that somebody thought about it. It didn't come out of a box. If that answers the question. It, well, maybe it does. but and, and I think we got close to it. Are, were there any specific watches that you had in your mind or any specific, um, perhaps like brand language or design language? You know, it, it's not a secret. And you just said it. Uh, yeah. you, there's nothing left to invent. Um, or were there a specific sort of like, oh, it was the feel of this watch and, and maybe the element of this watch that really kind of inspired where I went with this, something like that. Yeah, the dial is curved, much like an old Omega. Yeah. So if you looked like an old Seamaster. So I wanted that with a box crystal. So there was going to be that part. As far as the case and the lugs, you would see similar type lugs um, way back when. Uh, there wasn't any specific watch. It's kind of an amalgamation of like an old Bolova and maybe a Hamilton. That's where I came up with that name, Rodney. Uh, there is a Rodney watch that looks something like that. Um, so that's kind of where the, so I, in the concept of the construct of putting the watch together, I wanted you to see it and go, huh, that's new. But then that's kind of familiar too at the same time. So that way, when you put it on, um, just the way we set it up, right down to the way the crown's made. Let's know? talk about the dial a little um, bit. So you, first you... I, I want to comment on, on the, the case design, the curvature of the dial. So this concave bezel, if you will, kind of lifts the watch up. You have this curved mm -hmm. bezel that grabs some more light. And when you look at it, my, my first thought was, man, this is going to wear big because it looks big. And then I put it on. And it's not. And I was like. No, it oh. doesn't work big. It doesn't. It doesn't wear big. No, it it is. It's fascinating. Like I, I would I would liken it to the way that Christopher Ward has has used that light catcher case. Yeah. To, to accomplish a, a strange, like an, an optical illusion in the watch that you're wearing. Yeah. You know, I, I would say I, I'm going to differentiate this, but you know, we've said, we've said to Mike France, to his face on this show, you, you know, you're, you're playing tricks, right? This is an optical yeah. illusion. We, I think we called it watch spanks, yeah. right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you know, I, you're not doing that here. This is not watch spanks. It actually just is the size it is. There's no tricks here. It this just right. you, you know for me, I have this uh, anatomical hollow in my wrist, which I think a lot of people do. Not everybody, but a lot of people have a similar sort of anatomical valley in their wrist which can accommodate X amount of watches, you, you know, uh, obviously there's a lot of deliberation when you're designing a watch, but the, the way the, the way the lugs come into the case, it, it just seems to me like, Oh, this, this thing was built for my wrist. Like if I was going to go to a, a bespoke suit maker, perhaps in Hong Kong or, or whatever, they're going to measure my body and they're going to make the suit fit the curves and the valleys and of my body so that when it lays, it's going to be perfect. This watch does that on my wrist and I appreciate you for thinking about me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's no watch specs here. There's no illusion. There's no optical illusion. It just fits. It's great. Yeah. It just fits. I, um, and thanks guys. That, that means a lot. I mean, I, I really did think about that right into you know how you talk about how it lifts the, the bezel lifts it up into the mm -hmm. crystal and rolls in and then the dial underneath rolls underneath. 
into the center of the watch where we put the crosshairs underneath the hands. That kind of brings your eye to the center and brings it in. Again, I I don't want to get nomos syndrome where you've got on a big, you know, I used to have a Longines, was it an Admiral or whatever? It was a remake or whatever. That watch just always wore too big for me. It was all too much dial. The, the bevel on the bezel just wasn't right. So those are things I thought about. So right down to, yes, our first dial on this watch, it has Masonic iconography on it because it's kind of a reproduction of something way back when. Our next dials, because I think dials sell watches, honestly, I think there's a lot to that. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, it's important as we've just talked about this case, but our next dials will be sort of a bullseye, a bullseye type design. There'll be a date and it'll bring your eye in closer to the middle. So I'm going to mess with you even more on the next one, I promise. Well, so so <laughs> you've touched on it. Let's talk about this dial because the, these huh? are... Uh, unique dials these are not something like what we see now so let's let's hear it yeah okay so um i've said it a million times back in the day you could walk into the store you could buy your dad a watch and it would have the skull and crossbones on it or it'd have the square and compass and the g that you would see on the masonic building in town all the little elements that come from the Masons and those watches. I mean, these go historically back into the 1800s. People had them on pocket watches. I collected Masonic dial watches. I have one that's over 100 years old that has the same iconography on here. So it's not just something that Hamilton watch developed in 1950. It's been around in the zeitgeist of the human, you know, watch collecting scene. So that's why we put these on the dial. And uh, yeah, it's kind of niche. You don't have to be a Mason to buy this. We're not a Masonic watch company. We're just a company that put out a Freemason's dialed watch. It, and none of it's copyrighted, thankfully. Um, <laughs> right down to where it says Mastermatic. That's even a play. Um, it's an automatic watch. But, you know, the everyday Mason's a Master Mason. That's the guy on the work site, you know, that's the guy that's making his mark in life. That's the guy that's working. So we called it a master medic. That's just another thing I pulled out of the air, like everything else. Is there <laughs> a uh, relevance to the positioning of the symbols around the dial? Good question. Beyond so, that's what was historically done. I, um, I, I like knowing just a yeah. just a touch about Freemason kind of philosophy. There's okay. like nothing's random, right? Correct. Yeah, I mean, there's some stuff in the bit, even like I say in the name. Okay, the sun's at six o'clock, right? Well, that's high noon, the high noon of each day. Um, you know, it, it, the other bit. If you look, I should put my own glasses on. Um. I think it's around seven o'clock. There's a ruler, right? That ruler mm -hmm. is a 12 inch gauge or a 12 inch gauge. You know, that would split up your day into um, three equal parts, right? So the high noon is going to be at the center at six o'clock. The, the square and compass with the G is going to sit at the center. Um, part of the symbols represent different officers in the lodge. Mm -hmm. So real easy, basic masonry. Let's talk about the lodge at the end of the street. You have an entered apprentice. That's the guy that just joins. Then he graduates to fellow craft, and then he becomes a master mason. There's nothing secret about any of that in the sense that they were based on stonemasons way back in the day. So mm -hmm. an apprentice was the guy that busted rocks. The fellow craft was the guy that carved them and put them together and made his mark. And the master mason, he knew the secrets. Well, what were the secrets? He could read and write. 
So he was the guy that was doing all the um, blueprints and following the rules. And he was the overseer on the site. He was the one that worked with people. So as you go around, you can see the um, implements and tools of masonry and architecture. And each one of these represents officers of the lodge. Uh, there's a square on there. So let's think about everyday language, guys. There's a lot of Freemasonry in everyday language. Um, you'll hear someone, are you being square with me? Are you giving me a square deal? Are we on the level here? Well, those elements are right there on your dial. Those things come from Freemasonry. Okay, you talked about golfing with your friend there. Um, you know, hey, man, I tried to get into this club for years and I got blackballed. Somebody in there doesn't like me. I can't, I can't join the golf club. Well, Masons, when you join a lodge, they vote with white balls and black balls. It's got to be unanimous ballot. If there's a black ball in the ballot, you don't get in. So all these little everyday things right down to our name, mark well, making your mark in life. And then this watch specifically, the case is called Telford, much like old Hamilton watches were named after the designer. Telford was my grandfather. So this is the Telford case. He was also a Mason. Um, this watch is called the Memento Mori. So Memento Mori, now remember you're going to die. Remember thou art mortal. Um, so on the back of the watch, in the glass, on the back of the watch, if you can see it in light, it's not supposed to be specific. There's a skull and crossbones there that's always with you, that reminds you time is ticking away. And um, we didn't have to put it on the dial, so we put it on the back, and that's part of it. And um, if you look at any of the uh, watch news aggregators, you'll see that Hublot um, copied me today, and now they have got a Memento Mori watch. <laughs> so I'll be I talking to you, Everett. You can send him a letter <laughs> as my attorney, and we'll see what kind I, of money we can get out of them. I, uh, when I, I, the sticker, when I removed it from the case back, I, I couldn't make out that it was a skull and crossbones. I could just see the edge of it. And I was like, how is, how did I smudge this already? Uh -huh. And I, I, it was an embarrassing 30 seconds. Yeah, he he got like, out the turpentine and of like, and I, I like, I wiped it with my thumb and I'm 12, like, gosh, I'm going to get grit sandpaper. Like I, I was I, like, I, Andrew, chill I, out. I, I get on our watches. kitchen towel out of this, out of the drawer. And I'm like wiping it. And, and like, I'm looking and I'm like, Oh, that's so subtle. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the idea. Like if you go, like we were just in Boston like a year ago, my wife and I. And if you look at the old tombstones, which correspond to the old tombstones that you would see in Europe, um, Freemasonry started in the, the UK, England, Ireland, Scotland. You'll see old skulls and crossbones. It's not necessarily a Masonic symbol. It's a life and death symbol. Mm -hmm. um, it was on a lot of different gravestones and things. Again, it's that same phrase. Remember, your time is coming. You, you've got limited amount of time. So that's why we named this Masonic watch, our first entry, the Memento Mori. And we put it on there. You will see fake dials, um, Asian copies all over eBay and stuff. And what do they do? They put the skull and crossbones all over everything. They're everywhere. The only skull and crossbones we see when we go to Lodge are guys that bought T-shirts on eBay. I mean, that's about it. The standard deal, you're going to see that square and compass with the G. People always ask what that G stands for. It's It refers back to math, geometry. It also refers to deity because all Masons have to have a belief in a supreme being, but it can be anybody. It's not a doctrine. So anybody, any religion, non-denominational, as long as they have a belief in a supreme being can be a Mason. So that's why we put it there. Yeah. Well, let's talk about what's next. So one of the questions that I had was using the SW200 with a ghost date. Uh, and and you've yeah. sort of explained it. So, so what's next? Well... Ghost date. It does have a ghost date. And 
that's an economy deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can buy a bunch of movements with and without a date. You can get a lot of movements with a date and just not use the date and have that ghost position. I know we as collectors kind of stress over things like that. Average Joe doesn't necessarily do that. Um, but the question was, do we want to make the watches more expensive just so we don't have a date or do we want to produce that product? Um, the next watch, no surprise, the Datematic will be in this case. It'll have a bullseye dial. It'll have the crosshairs in the center. And uh, we're working on, is it the uh, pole router? Kind of has like a trapezoid date mm -hmm. position. Yeah. We've got it set up where you can kind of see the date coming and going. It's like kind of a little bit halves and halves. Yesterday, so, today, tomorrow. I love yeah, those. Yeah, I like that. All right, thanks. I'll steal that. Yeah. Um, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Thank you so very much. I'll, I'll run that into a YouTube somewhere. Um, yeah, so we're doing that. The other thing you'll notice, and on this one specifically, the, the second hand, it's got a red tip on mm -hmm. the end. All, uh, you'd see all, all the way out. Yes. It, you know, I would yeah. be remiss not to mention that second hand that gets all the way out, which I love. And that way. was, and I did that on purpose because that's something that always pissed me off too. If it wasn't there, you'll also notice the second hand and the minute hand are curved to the dial. So we did bend them. I didn't um, notice. Did you do that with tweezers? You just, oh, they are. No, I think the guy just hit him with a hammer. Okay. Sure. A little smack. Yeah, but they are bent down on the end. Again, another intentional piece in part. But on the new ones that we're coming out with, the seconds hand will probably correlate to either the dial color or the date wheel, believe it or not. I'm one of those ones that likes matching date wheels with the dials. You know, I don't want to just do, again, it's intentional. I just don't want a white date wheel with a black date on it. I want to do some different things. So that's kind of what we're working on our next one. We have a field watch and we're looking at and possibly we're dreaming about that 9075 movement with yeah. the GMT. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a question of how we're going to incorporate it. We've got an idea. Um, my partner and I sit there over a desk and draw pictures and come up with names. We think we've got that hammered down. It's as you guys know, it's all about how much money you've got to throw into it. Mm -hmm. um, we launched in January. We've sold about 25% of the stock that we have right now. So that's pretty good. Um, we self-funded. We didn't do any, you know, buy now, get later type stuff. We did that on purpose. Um, my friend has built a couple of really successful businesses and he's done it on cash and he's all about this organic growth. So that's kind of how we're going to do it. And it might take a little longer, but at least we won't owe anybody when it's done. That's kind of how we're looking at it. So it might take a little bit, but we're probably going to have those date dial watches at least by June, we think. That's quick. So, so yeah, well, yeah. You know, we started a couple of months. This took from last January to this January. Basically, it'll Christmas. It took a year to get to this point. That's, that's how, quick. That's how it goes. Yeah. 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 Well, listen, but folks. Like, the, the, oh, sorry. The, the, the Markwell Memento Mori, this is a 37 millimeter, 10 and a half millimeter thick, 43 millimeter lug to lug with a 20 millimeter lug width. Great decision, by the way. Yeah. We've got a sapphire crystal. We've got hundred meters of water resistance. This watch is amazingly sized. One of the best cases under a thousand dollars that I've ever held. And I say that not even a little bit lightly. The finishing on this thing is stunning. Mm -hmm. $969 available today. Also the leather strap. Sorry. Sorry. The leather, yeah, strap, the leather strap here. Straps. This is, so a, I, I know, I know, I know. Yes. And, I, and I'm not going to hesitate to say this is not an expensive leather strap. 
but it is exquisite. The mm-hmm. leather looks so freaking good. Uh, I you guys did a great job. You you did a great job matching the colors, the anthracite with the steel and the brown with the gold. Fantastic colors. Um, this is a great watch. I thank you. Well done, well done, John. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate it. Same thing with straps. What's the worst thing when you buy a watch and it's got a plastic type strap? And what's the first thing you do? You buy another one. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want you to have to go and buy another nope. strap when nope. you just spend I, nope. money on the watch. I'm, I'm wearing this because it's gorgeous. It's got like an oil. This is what I call an oil finish. Uh, maybe that's yeah. not the appropriate term. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's just beautiful. And it, and it fits the, the watch really well. Polished, amazing, beautiful polished clasp. Uh, you, you know, we all kind of know at this point how this thing works. Anybody listening to the show is knows how this stuff works. Everything just er, everything is the way you'd want it, oh, which is which is what what we'd expect, I think. So w- mm-hmm. well executed, great watch. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, unless there's anything you're dying to say about this watch or Markwell or yourself, I think we're going to transition to other things. And 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 John, I I'd like to start with you we normally start with our guests when we do other things do you got another thing for the folks today i have two things because i'm a fan well, of that is uh, that's not allowed but we'll do allow it, it. ever we'll cheats all the time well okay i thought you guys yeah you guys do break the rules often um <laughs> so every year uh, probably beginning of the year because of holidays and everything else i try to go on you know like a high protein kind of carnivore type thing because what, what wouldn't be cool except for beef beef bacon butter and eggs I'm flipping through my Instagram and I find this lotion and I'm like, okay, I, I have the same haircut, you know, that one of you has and um, not much. It's Andrew, by the way, he has the same haircut as Andrew. It's me. I'm the guy. Yeah. It's yeah. Once a week, just buzz buzz. So the one thing I have to do, and I live in the state with like the highest rate of skin cancer in the country because we're all at altitude, but um, I found this uh, cream, uh, like a lotion and it's called forge. And I, it might be forged something or other, but it's a tallow bit. So it's carnivore cream. So it's a tallow based cream. It, it's You're not going to smell like Crisco. It's got rosemary and lemongrass and a few things in it. And I just love it. You get out of the shower and I put it on my face and my head. And I think I've bought into the hype. It sucks into your skin. It's not oily. And uh, my wife being a vegan, I really don't want to tell her. Is this, is this the I, wrinkle defense yeah. tallow bomb? Don't don't tell no. the wife. No, 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 gosh, no. She's bad enough when I'm eating all that bacon. But yeah, so <laughs> I it, it's in a little it's in a little tub. And it's called I think it's just the cream. Yeah, it sounds weird. It sounds strange. I but I love it. I mean, it you know I don't think it was cheap, but at the same time, uh, you know, there's this whole story about you know it's the old days of how people would, would yeah. make all the you know it was the tallow based products so i'm gonna go with it I you know like it's a that. perfect other thing it's weird it's yes. something that anyone ever hasn't ever heard of and it's something that somebody at home might be like you know i saw that and that's fucking weird uh yeah. but like yeah that's a perfect other thing like hey i tried this and i actually really like it it doesn't smell bad uh, and I yeah. love the way it feels. No, it's great. I'd be yeah. super okay smelling like beef tallow all day, though. But you do smell like beef tallow, so well done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then, God, no, you know, cats will chase you and want to lick your head. That's but it's whatever. Funny. I uh, So then the other thing I have, uh, so I'm on week five. It's on Apple TV is Masters of the Air. Oh, yeah. 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 So my maternal grandfather, not the Mason, was a radio operator in a B-17. 
Um, I can tell you the B-17s they have on the show are B-17Es. He was in a B-17G. He was a little bit later. I have his uh, logs. He did all his missions and came back. And being a radio operator, I had the opportunity a few years ago to fly in a B-17 and strap right in the chair in the radio operator's chair. And when you can see those cables moving in the aluminum walls, and then you watch your first bastards of the air and they go out over Germany and the bombs and the guys are standing in these things, shooting those 50 cows. Uh, it gives you a whole perspective for, you know, your grandfather who you loved and thought was great. And at 20 something years old, he was up there shooting down Messerschmitts and uh, masters of the air. If you haven't seen it, it's pretty cool. One of the pilots wears a stretchy bracelet with his watch on the inside yeah, of his that's wrist. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah, you, saw that. And I believe it's a Hamilton Bolton because I'm a geek like you guys and I figured that out. But um, yeah, if you haven't watched that show, I would definitely give it a watch. You, you know, much, much like Band of Brothers or I think maybe Saving Private Ryan was one of the first sort of same like, put yeah. you in the seat type mm -hmm. of, of war flick. Uh, you, you know, that first... 40 minutes of masters of the air is like really um, I, I, I wish there had been an opportunity to see that in the theater because it's so frenetic yeah. and frantic and dynamic and, and really at, at times scary uh, uh, and exciting. And, and you, you know, you're like, you turn this thing on and you're like, you know, Oh, this is going to be a show about war. And then you're like, Oh my gosh, what have we gotten into? It's really the, you talked about seeing the cables move. I mean, you were for, for 30 minutes, you were in that airplane and you, you know, in the ship, you're in an airplane yeah. in the shit. And it's like, Holy cow. The only critique I have of that show, because I love the show. The story's great. Everything is great. The cinematography is too clean. Mm -hmm. It's too clean. I, I know what you mean. It almost looks like the CGI it, parts. Yeah. It, are, are either on purposely made not to look too like too real or, or kind of real. Uh, I mm -hmm. don't know how else to explain it. it. I mean, I'm yeah. sure it was clear up there, but... It's pretty sharp. I guess that's the word. Yeah. Like you watch it's, it on a big TV. Well, yeah. but it's sharper than even human vision. And it's like these these other greats that it's kind of following in the footsteps of. If we look at Band of Brothers or we look at the Pacific or we look at, you know, even uh, you know, Saving Private Ryan, which is kind of, you know, as you say, the, the origin. It's shot in these older formats oh, yeah. that just make yeah. it kind of... Sepia. More sepia tone. Yeah, just kind of gritty... And it's just a little too clean and sharp for me in the way of like imagery. But everything else is great. I just can't get over. I'm like, I feel like I'm playing a video game. You, you know, it's so uh, clear. In, in photography, in photography for portraits, there's this idea that for portraiture, uh, a, a longer lens gives you compression, right? Compression is mm -hmm. this idea where your subject is separated from the background by way of a longer lens compressing the background, giving you more depth of field. Um, and, and so, you, you know, a, a portrait lens might be 80 or even 100 millimeters to give you that compression, uh, which means uh, which which makes a lot of people use macro lenses in portraiture because a macro lens is the right length. Oftentimes, most macro lenses for a full frame camera are in that 100 millimeter uh, range, but one of the criticisms of doing that is that you get these 
incredibly, you know, macro lenses are by their nature super sharp. And some mm-hmm. people some people criticize portraiture taken with a macro lens because it's too sharp. And I think that's I think that that's maybe part of what's going on here is the cinematography and the camera work is so clean and so sharp that it disrupts the the emotional sensation that you're feeling. And 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 so well, I actually didn't have a negative reaction. I think that's maybe what you're talking about. It's so clean and so sharp, and you want a little bit more grit. Yeah, because what Saving Private Ryan was shot in what 35 millimeter? I right? think uh, maybe I'm not sure. Yes. Maybe uh, yeah. It seems dirt dirtier. Like yeah. you feel like you're in the mud. Yeah, you're like you're in it. You're in the mud. And when you're in a movie like that, when you're put into it, you want like that immerse that immersion is lost. Yeah, the whatever that that sensation, that dirty sensation, mm-hmm. is not there. Yeah. yeah, you talk about that, and if you swing it back into watches real quick, you talk about the macro. Like you take a dial, for instance, like the dial on my watch, and you zoom in. The guy that did the dial drew all those little symbols in vector. So when you zoom in on a picture, they they don't lose any of their uh, pixelization. But when you talk to a watchmaker, there's like this ten inch rule. If you can look at it ten inches away with your without a loop and you don't see any dust that's good enough for the for the watch world they're good with it but all us you know people that youtube and get out of loop and everything we're right underneath it oh there's a speck of dust right there and the watchmaker's like no nah, it's okay no oh, fuck that neck beard well and <laughs> there and, can be some dust <laughs> and, and I'll, I'll say something cuz this is a printed dial your pad printer is toit on it yeah the the pad printing on this it is pad printed i assume yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah, the pad printing on this is some of the best I've ever seen. You, you know, we went, uh, Vero used to make all their watches in the United States and Portland. We went and, and oh, visited yeah. their site and saw their pad printing setup. It, and it was also really, really, really good. I, this is some of the best pad printing I've seen outside of outside of Vero's work. So we and, were and Vero's absolutely. work was like a boutique, like a yeah. Yeah. When they came back, we were shocked. One more thing on the on the Masters of the Air. Um, a couple of years ago, my mom's cousin sent me a packet of letters that were from my grandfather. And I didn't know this. So I moved to Utah 30 years ago. During the war, prior to being shipped over, they were stationed here. And my grandfather was stationed here in Salt Lake Valley on the other side of the valley. Hmm. And that's where the bombing school was. And then they would bomb out on the West Desert out on the salt flats where the Bonneville salt flat yeah. racing is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where the Enola Gay was actually out there in a hangar on the border with Nevada. But he was here. And that's where the B-17 crews were. There's an old movie, um, Devil's Brigade in the 60s and that was filmed in utah and it talked about like the first remember that thing bob dole was in it was like special forces yeah, with yeah, that's, right, yeah. and all. that's what that movie was about and that was, they shot the movie out of the old base where the bombers were which is now a town in the valley here with its own zip code but uh, <laughs> i found that out i've got letters from him addressed from salt lake city from way back in the day fantastic so it was kind of, that's cool yeah it was kind of cool anyway thanks for that andrew you got another thing i do have another thing i don't remember what it is though i gotta pull it up <clears throat> oh, uh, so I watched a Do the worst. I, I watched a new Netflix show recently, and it's a limited series, uh, and it's called American Nightmare. And I, are you familiar with the movie Gone Girl? Mm-hmm. So uh, I the the tile is like the the true story of Gone Girl, and I was like, ah, whatever, I'll watch this. Um, and it starts out, and I kind of have like this vague memory. I was like, oh, I sort of remember this thing happening. And like, 
somewhere in the like 2010 zone that this lady disappeared, claimed she was kidnapped, and then turns out it was all fake. Yeah. Like, I kind of remember that. And I'm watching this documentary, and I'm like, but that lady went to jail. And, and I'm in this documentary, and that's exactly what it is. This couple, they're asleep in their home at night. They are woken up by lasers on them, flashlights in their face, <laughs> dudes in wetsuits and, and goggles, giving them orders, and, and girl gets taken. She's gone. And huh. the dude gets told, like, hey, like he wake, like they give him some injection. And when he wakes up in the morning, there's like a note or something that says, if you leave this red box or call the police, we'll hurt. Or, or, I don't remember her name. It doesn't matter. We'll hurt her. And there's a camera installed in his living room. And he's now in a, in a, in a bit of a pickle. Ultimately, he calls the police and they don't believe him. And they just kind of stopped the investigation. They're like, obviously, you did it, man. So they're cadaver dogging his neighborhood, looking for her body. And he, meanwhile, he's in this panic. She shows up at her parents' house a couple hundred miles away in Southern California two days later and doesn't say a word. He's just like, no, I'm back. It's fine, whatever. And they both get charged. And so this whole show, American Nightmare, is this documentary of this case unraveling over a couple years, I think, if we look at the timeline, of from her being taken to them getting charged to ultimately an almost identical crime occurring counties away. And some detective is like, well, that was weird. Yeah, and then what's ultima- going on here? ultimately the guy gets caught and then they, you know, obviously they're... Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, yeah, I don't know. Redeemed in, oh, okay. in their claims. Like, no, everything that happened to us Valid- was real. Oh, yeah. Validated yeah, they're validated or? because among the pieces of evidence is a piece of her hair. It's this really fascinating, like, bizarro, everything that can go wrong and doesn't make sense happens. It's, it is, I think, four episodes on Netflix, maybe five, super good, like really good true crime stuff that's like simultaneously true crime and conspiracy all kind of wrapped up into itself. And it was it was a quick watch. I really liked it. I think it was like a, a two nights of of effort. American watch. Nightmare. Yeah. I wrote it down. It was not the show that I thought it was because I do remember a whole other story that a lady claimed she'd been kidnapped wasn't and did go to jail for it. That's what I thought I was watching. That's mm. not what I was watching. This was something I was wholly unaware of occurring. Yeah. It was, I, I liked it. I was, I was. Sounds fun. Yeah, it was fun. It was the whole time. And it's obviously them, right? It's, it's like fairly contemporaneous, right? This isn't even a 20 year old case. So it's these people. It's just happened, right? Yeah, it's these people who are like still emotionally raw from it, giving their interviews. They look the same way in their doc interviews as they do in their police interviews. Okay. Right. And that's, you know, that's meaningful. Yeah. <laughs> Cause usually it's like, you know, you see the police interview of this kid and then it's this, you know, 70 year old dude giving the documentary interview. Right. They're showing videotape from, you know, NBC show from 25 years. ago. Yeah. And it's like, you recognize the anchors. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, whoa, this is new. 
Yeah, that's a, it's, you know juxtapose that with the the Netflix series that came out about Waco a few years ago, and right, yeah. everybody's so you know these people have all completely changed or 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 not, you know, for better or worse. Uh, yeah, that that's an interesting. It's interesting to sort of get it in like so contemporaneous, so so close to real time. Mm-hmm. So I've also got a show for my other thing. Ooh, do me. Uh, Ooh. I yeah, the, we've got three three for three shows and some beef towel lotion. Uh, I watched several years ago, I watched the very first season of True Detective, uh, which at the time I thought, you know, I'm not sure where they're going to go with this, but this is probably one of the best platforms for, you know, long-term success of True Detective that first season just Every single minute of that show, mm-hmm. I was floored and ready for more. The characters were brilliant. The actors were brilliant. Uh, season two came out, and I think season two was a bit of a letdown for most people, myself included. Season Vince, two was Vince Vaughn, right? Vince Vaughn. Yeah, yeah. they were too slow and then too And fast. Colin Farrell. Yeah. And, uh, and then season three came out, Mahershala Ali, and I thought, well, okay, now we're getting somewhere HBO's been teasing season four for about six months now. Jodie Foster set in Alaska. Uh, I think it was six episodes, and I've just finished it. It was either five or six episodes. I've just finished this with my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't want, I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm not going to spoil anything. What I will tell you is that for about four episodes, I was like, what are they doing? Like, I, I want to watch this. I'm really into it, but I I kind of can't believe that this is happening. You, you know, it, you come down to earth at some point. Uh, you come down to earth at some point, and and I will say that they did a good job with where they took it, and I didn't hate the way they finished. I, I don't know that I love the ending. The, the setting is in Alaska, there is, it's a very small town. I don't know where in Alaska, somewhere up on the Arctic Circle. There's a research facility. People at the research facility die. That's not much of a spoiler. I think you get that mm, in the bears. first, you know, 13 minutes of the show. Um, the, the entire, the entire or almost the entire research facility winds up dying. And it's really sort of mysterious, supernatural, even. Um, Jodie Foster is, I think, as good as I've ever seen Jodie Foster. Obviously, one of these actors that has had an entire damn lifetime in movies. I mean, literally, Jodie Foster has been in movies since she was a babe. Mm-hmm. Um, and and now she's a, a mature woman. Um, you know, I don't know how old Jodie Foster is. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly older, older than, than me. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. She's 61. And yeah. And so, you know, this is a person that we've known for years who's had some amazing roles. Uh, it, it is, I think for me, maybe her strongest role that she's ever played in her career, you know, and I can think of, you know, Contact in particular. I thought that movie was just terrific. Oh, yeah. And I thought she really owned that role. She owns this role and she was great. Uh, there are actors you'll know. Um, it's maybe sort of not quite as big big a budget in terms of cast as some of the prior seasons, but the cast that they did get in place is all really good. 
Um, the energy of the show was good. It keeps you going until the last minute. Um, but I'll just say my other thing is not like a glowing endorsement. Uh, I've heard some really negative things. I don't feel quite as negative as some other people have. Um, it, it's the type of show where you get to the end and you're like, that's what you did. All right. I don't hate it, but I, I want you to have done something else, but I'm not sure it's because it was bad. I think it's because it was, they had to make decisions and they made decisions. So my other well, thing, not a ringing you, endorsement. Let me ask you a question though. You, you, when you say bring it back down to earth, do you mean they literally left the planet or you, they just brought you back down to earth on the story? Well, <laughs> it, you know, there, there's no, without spoiling it. <laughs> yeah. There's no flight, but the, the story gets pretty out Weird. there. And, okay. Um, I, I would say it, it comes without spoiling anything. It, yeah. Yeah. It comes I want to watch it now. And they don't, they don't, not everything gets resolved. Some things get resolved. I did hear, uh, somebody give me a, 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 a review, a third hand review or a second hand review, uh, a, a likening it to an episode of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> well, that's not unfair. Well, that's not unfair. It's obviously also not completely fair. So, uh, take a look. I, I think it's worth the watch. It, it's you know not a particularly long season, so the investment's relatively low, and it's worth it. it it's really good. The direction is really good. The acting is really good. The story's good, decent. I would say um, it, it's, it's really well made. I, I think you'll have to draw your own conclusions about the story and where they go and where they land, but it's fantastically done and it's beautiful. Um, you, you know, Alaska is super dark and the entirety of this show, it is dark. Is it like black Panther dark? No, it is actually just not ever light, uh, that kind of dark. Okay. So it, it's in an area of Alaska where there are several weeks of no sunlight and the entire show takes place during those days. Mm. Yeah. I'm into it. Yeah. It's worth it. I'll, it's worth it. I'll, I'll, I'll watch I'll, it. I'll recommend it with some caveats. I mean, the caveats are it's true detective. And after season one, there's been a struggle. Modern TV really struggles with timing and tempo of shows. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here we are. We've done it once again. John Liley, thank you for joining us. I want to direct you folks at home to markwellwatches.com, which is where you can uh, see the Memento Mori. Um, I, I would also direct you to the website of the Horological Society of Utah. You can also, if you want, you can Google uh, John Liley because he's a fucking <laughs> interesting dude who's done some interesting things uh we didn't get a chance to talk about uh bike touring on bmws or um you you know being an ordained minister with the universal life church or any number (laughs) of things that i would have liked to pick your brain about with that said uh john's actually a human being he's got uh some instagram handles that you may be able to reach him at if you're so inclined Where, where can folks find you john uh, Markwell watches, of course, for Instagram. Um, other people might know me as watch solace, not watch Solis, but watch solace. I can't remember where I came up with that stupid name. And then of course <laughs> I've got my own name and then, uh, my business, uh, my other part of my life, 
mortgage alchemist. <laughs> but uh, I try, try to turn people's dreams into gold, you know. So, yeah. Great. So, uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. Thank you. Well, hey, uh, I, I want to thank you uh, for joining us for the last 90 minutes of your life. I really appreciate you taking the time, and I appreciate you sending us these watches to try on for a couple weeks. And, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, John. I, I'm excited to see where Markwell goes next and wh what you guys have in store. Appreciate it. Thanks, folks. Hey, and, and I also want to thank you. I want to thank you people you people at home listening to us i want to thank you for joining us for this episode of 40 and 20 the watch clicker podcast uh do me a favor you can check us out at watchclicker.com that's our website you can also check out john liley at markwellwatches.com if you want to check us out on instagram instagram social media you can do that on instagram at 40 and 20 or at excuse me at 40 and 20 underscore watch clicker or at watch clicker that's where we post updates about what we're doing on the website if you want to support us and oh boy i hope you do you can do that at instagram.com nope man patreon.com slash 40 and 20 that's where we get all the support for what we're doing here uh for those of you supporting us we really genuinely deeply thank you and if you're not supporting us check us out at patreon.com and don't forget to tune in next thursday for another hour of watches, food, drinks, life, and other things we like. Bye-bye. <laughs>